Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Love of Speed Formula One podcast series. I'm Thomas Billsborough. I'm joined tonight, as always, by the one and only Connor Farmer. Connor, how are you doing? Are you holding up all right after this chaotic race? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it was definitely one for the ages, Tom. Uh, it was probably the craziest race I can I can think of. You know, it, it had action, it had drama. It, it was it was really just uh, everything that we thought it would be, and a little bit more. I think that we can already slot this race in as one of the top races of the decade, and we're only in 2021. I mean, this race had everything. Controversy, on-track action, off-track action. We had two red flags. We had three virtual safety cars. We had big winners and big losers of all the restarts. But our finishing order from the just insane Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, I highly recommend if you haven't seen the race to go back and watch it for sure. Our finishing order was Lewis Hamilton took the win on the streets of Jeddah, followed by Max Verstappen. Valtteri Bottas takes the final spot on the podium just ahead of Esteban Ocon. Daniel Ricciardo brings it home in P5, followed by Pierre Gasly, who again finishes ahead of both the Ferraris of Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Antonio Giovinazzi slots into P9, taking some crucial points at the end of his current Formula 1 stint before he goes into Formula E. Lando Norris rounds out our top 10. And uh, just to follow that up to kind of show you how that makes the driver standings shape up and the constructors in the driver standings, we have Max Verstappen sitting at 369.5 points in a almost dead tie uh, in terms of the standings with Lewis Hamilton. He also has 369.5 points, but hence, you know, uh, Max having the nine wins compared to Lewis's eight, he is still number one in the driver standings. Following Lewis is Valtteri Bottas, Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, Daniel Ricciardo, Pierre Gasly, and rounding up the top ten is Fernando Alonso. And going over to the constructors, we have Mercedes sitting at 587 and a half points. Uh, uh, Somewhat comfortable lead now growing uh, uh, as Red Bull is, you know, down to 559 and a half points. Uh, following them in third is Ferrari with 307 and a half. McLaren is fourth with 269. Alpine is fifth. Alpha Tauri is in sixth place. Aston Martin is seventh. Williams is eighth. Alfa Romeo Racing is ninth. And the always wonderful Haas is in tenth. We have a lot to talk about with this race tonight. So I hope that you're comfy wherever you are listening, wherever you are all over the world. Hello to our international audience and our audience here back home in the United States. Uh, Connor, it looked like the medium and the hard tire, it was more the tire of choice this weekend. The only soft starter that we had was Lando Norris in P7. Um, What do you think was a better tire choice this weekend? Do you think it was medium? Do you think it was hards? What do you think was the better one? Uh, you know, I think overall it, it, it really, I think it's almost, it's almost too hard to say. I, I think some teams found some success on that medium tire with some of those quick corners. Um, but I think just in terms of the, the longevity of those hard tires, they, they really seem to hold up pretty well this weekend. Um, and and I, I think overall, I, I probably have to say the hard tires were, you know, if, if I were team principal and I was, you know, calling the shots, so to speak, um, I, I think I would have kind of built a strategy on, on really relying on those hard tires and uh, trying to ride that compound as long as possible. 
I think if it wasn't for the multiple red flags and the virtual safety cars and all of these opportunities to change your strategy up, I think we could have been looking at a two stop if we went medium, medium hard, if the teams had those tires available. Um, if not a long one stop from medium to hard was going to be the tire of choice. The soft just seemed to, to drop off a little bit too early. Um, hence why Lando Norris was really the only driver to start on the softs, but it, it was quick through the, throughout the weekend, the soft tire was, but it's, it didn't hold up well over the 27 turn circuit. That is the streets of Jeddah. Connor, we have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, to all of our viewers, this is probably going to be our longest episode until next weekend when we get into championship weekend. So uh, we're just going to start right at the start of the race. Well, the, the first start, we should say. We had three uh, standing starts for this Grand Prix. Uh, at the beginning of the race, we saw Lewis Hamilton on pole position from Valtteri Bottas. This was Mercedes' first front row lockout of the year which actually is astonishing to think because of how many front row lockouts that they've had over the last couple of years. The, the first 10 laps were pretty uniform and tidy. Verstappen was in P3. They were all kind of going together. We saw our front running pack just pulling away as usual from the remaining pack. And it almost seemed for a little bit like we could have had a very uniform and tidy race. Con, did, you, did you think at any point that, anything that did happen was actually going to happen? Or do you think that it was just going to be more of what we saw at the beginning of the race? Yeah. You know, it's, it's actually, it's, it's funny as you, you know, looking into with, uh, I, I really thought that it was just going to be chaos right from the start. Um, but, you know, a, as we got into things and, and drivers seemed to kind of get into a, a comfortable line, it, it almost seemed like it was going to be, you know, possibly a, a clean race. Um, and it, it threw me off a bit, to be completely honest with you, because I, I just I, I had that that odd gut feeling that, you know, with with so many cars flying into that first turn and in these quick corners of Jetta, I, I really thought that we might have seen something a little bit sooner than what we did. Um, but pleasantly, uh, we, we didn't see any, you know, major incidents right off the rip. And uh, we, we got to see some pretty clean racing. So I, I'd say I'm pretty surprised on how uh, the race overall had started and and looked to be shaping up i was very surprised that there was not a large collision uh, especially at turn one um at the start of the race i think everybody coming into this race we all kind of had this like gut feeling like okay something is bound to happen lap one turn one like somebody's gonna wreck somebody out and we almost saw that Sergio Perez almost took out Max Verstappen. He was fighting with Charles Leclerc off the line. They were lined up near each other. And they were Perez was really trying to get ahead of the Ferrari of Leclerc to really kind of slot himself into that fight with Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, he didn't really hold that position, but in his trying to, he actually locked his brakes up and came so close to taking Verstappen out. And uh, yeah, like you said, like the first 10 laps, like, I kind of was watching the race and I was thinking like, how hasn't anything happened yet? Like we all thought something was going to happen. And then on lap 10, Mick Schumacher in the Haas would crash into the barriers at the turn 21 and 22 complex that at first only brought out the safety car. And that really started to change things because we saw a lot of drivers dive into the pits. We saw both Mercedes dive into the pits for new tires. Max Verstappen stayed out on the track and stayed on his tires, gained the lead of the race by doing so, and then the race was called a red flag a couple of laps later. Uh, Connor, really quick, do you think that should have been a red flag immediately when Schumacher went into the barriers, or do you think that there was the possibility that they were going to be able to get everything sorted just under regular safety car? 
Uh, you know, I, I honestly, I thought that it was uh, a very interesting decision to even call a red flag in that situation. Um, I, I do know that they were, you know, pretty concerned about the overall, you know, integrity of that wall and, and uh, how much damage it had really gone through in terms of, uh, you know, the, the puncture that it had suffered and, and, and whatnot. But I, I just, I, I kind of feel like it might have been a, a premature you know, decision to make. Uh, I really do think that they could have stayed underneath the safety car and, and had that cleared up and situated. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a Formula One. You know, uh, these these racers put themselves in extremely dangerous situations. And uh, the last thing that we want is, you know, one of them to get hurt or, you know, injured by, you know, our our lack of, of concern for a barrier or, or whatnot. So ultimately, uh, you know, I think they might have made the right move in terms of clearing it up and making sure that it was safe for the racers to continue about the race. But uh, I did think that it might've been a little bit uh, premature. I actually thought that it was going to be a red flag as soon as Schumacher went into the barriers. Um, When I said it earlier in the week um, that turn 21 and 22 was a highly dangerous spot on the track. I knew that somebody was going to have a big crash there. And we saw Leclerc have a big crash there in practice. And then we saw Schumacher have that big crash in the race, both at the turn 21 and 22 complex. That's a corner where you throw it into the apex at a, with a wall two feet away in a blind corner at about 160 miles an hour. I, d- I knew that somebody was going to have a big crash there. And I thought it was going to be a safe, uh, a red flag, excuse me, immediately. Um, because that, that car did look pretty beached in the barriers, but I also thought of, okay, that wall has taken a hit now and it has to be repaired to therefore do its job for the next time that a car is going to go in there. Because if they had just taken Schumacher's car out of there and said, okay, safety car for a few laps, all right, get back at it. And then another driver goes in to an already compromised safety wall, then therefore there's a larger risk of danger to the driver. Now, those repairs can be made under a safety car in normal circumstances. But I say in normal circumstances because not every track is the Jetta circuit. The Jetta circuit is so unique, so one of a kind, and it poses even risks when there's just a simple safety car out there to have marshals on track to do repair. So I thought immediately that it was going to be a red flag. I, I thought they actually waited too long to make the call on that. And that gap that had formed between the safety car being announced and the red flag being shown that caused a lot of that caused a lot of controversy um, with a couple of drivers and a couple of teams as to who got a good advantage out of changing their strategy and who didn't. We had a couple of big winners and losers right off the start there. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I I think it was one of those situations in which, you know, a lot of teams came in. Uh, you know, under that first safety car, just thinking that it was, you know, just a quick free pit and, you know, it would kind of reestablish a good position for them. And, and then once we had that red flag, it kind of just changed up the entire game plan of, of everyone, really, because then it gave everyone a chance to come in and, and kind of regather and reset themselves uh, in, 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 in which it definitely, uh, you know, as you said, there were some big winners and some big losers of that situation. And it, it definitely shook up uh, how, how we were going to restart this race. Yeah, so the big thing to, to really take a look at with the rules of what can and can't be done under a red flag. So when there's a safety car or a virtual safety car, it's basically a cheap pit stop because on average, it's about 20 to 25 seconds for your time to go into the pits, have your stop, exit, and rejoin the track. 
you lose less time when there's a safety car or a virtual safety car because the entire pack is slowed down. Now, under a red flag, you can come into the pits and get a free pit stop because you can change the tires on the car. You can make adjustments to the car. If we look back to Silverstone earlier this year when Hamilton and Verstappen had it coming together, Mercedes had said that if it wasn't for the red flag and them able to bring Hamilton in and do a little bit of adjustment to the car, he wasn't going to make it to the end of the race. And it's that rule in specific that a lot of drivers and a lot of teams, especially Lando Norris, are questioning and calling out. Lando Norris was arguably the biggest loser of the red flag situation because he came into the pits under the safety car, got new tires, but he rejoined the track further down the field because drivers had stayed out. A couple laps go, it's a red flag, everybody comes in. Those drivers that got ahead of him under the safety car now are still ahead of him, but they have fresh tires. So it's that rule that's really kind of being scrutinized right now. Oh, yeah. And I, I think, you know, you hit it right on the head in terms of how Lando Norris felt about it, saying, you know, uh, even after the race, you know, that he's he's got nothing to talk about. Uh, you know, he, he he stated that he he really believes that the rules should just be banned, um, you know, and, and, and banned until that that that, you know, existence of it is just completely banned from history. You know, he definitely was feeling uh, uh, the effects of, of how that kind of, you know, hurt him in his uh, his race performance and positioning on the track during that uh, during that red flag. Yeah, I love the attitude that Lando Norris had in that interview, because we don't always see these Formula One drivers who are, you know, supposed to be so formal. They're representatives of their teams and of their nations. Lando Norris just comes out and says, hey, I want to get my hands on the rules, turn it into a PDF and just delete that rule right out of there because it's crap. And I, I loved it. Um, the big winner, in my opinion, there were a couple of the big winners out, you know, after the first uh, red flag. Max Verstappen was a big winner off of it because both Mercedes that were ahead of him came into the pits under safety car. Verstappen stayed out. He gains the lead of the race. And then the red flag comes out. He comes into the pits and gets free tires and comes right back out into the track. So he got a little lucky with it. Um, however, I still think that red flag should have been flown right from the beginning. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, as you said, he, he definitely, he, you know, may, maybe, you know, lucked out in a way if, you know, we, we saw how the beginning laps of that race kind of were shaping up with, you know, Lewis kind of what seemed to be out to a, a somewhat comfortable lead. And he, he kind of seemed to be getting into, to quite a, a groove and then being able to, to come in and, and uh, you know, switch the tires. He was on fresh tires. It really looked like he was going to, you know, be in a position in which he was going to have uh, a somewhat easy race, so to speak, in terms of, you know, being on fresher tires and really just being able to chase down uh, Max after that yellow flag there, but, or the uh, safety car there, excuse me. And that, that red flag just really kind of, threw everybody for a loop but he was definitely a, a bit a bit unhappy about the fact that you know he wasn't really sure what was going on or, or why they had called it uh in such a uh a delayed manner uh as they did so it, it definitely shook things up quite a bit for that uh mercedes and red bull battle i think another thing that played into the mercedes and lewis hamilton side of the race was the fact that valtteri bottas was sitting p2 so you had hamilton in p1 of the race he was building a gap. He was gaining about a tenth or two on Verstappen each lap while um, Verstappen and Bottas, they were both lapping at a 133.6. So they were keeping pace with each other. And Hamilton is ahead of both of them and just building this gap out front. And then we see 
safety car and red flag and everything gets changed up. And I think we all kind of had this inner feeling that this was going to be the start of all of the craziness that this race had in store. Um, the race would be resumed on lap 15 with Max Verstappen on pole position from Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton got the better start of the two of them on that start. He actually had the position going into turn one. Uh, it kind of seems like the Red Bull got a little bogged down coming off the line. You got to remember that there was a lot of question about the integrity of that Red Bull gearbox after the shunt that Max Verstappen had in Q3. Um, so it, it kind of got a little worrying when we saw Red Bull really struggle to get off the line like that. And Hamilton just had a phenomenal start, just blitzed it and got right by him. So Hamilton had the lead going into turn one and Max Verstappen just braked way late to try to keep the corner. But in turn, he drives himself and Lewis Hamilton wide off at turn one. Now, this is where Esteban Ocon comes in. Now, anytime you say this is where Esteban Ocon comes in while you're talking about Mercedes and Red Bull, you kind of know that something insane happened at that race. Again, you need to watch it if you haven't. Esteban Ocon, he was a big winner of the red flag situation because he was another one of those drivers that had opted to stay out. And then he got a free pit stop when it turned red. Um, so he found himself up at the front. Hamilton and, and Verstappen take each other off the track. And Ocon, like we saw in Hungary, is just right place, right time. And he just slots right on into P1. Yeah, I think it was it was one of those situations in which to to see Esteban up there to begin with was uh, you know a bit of a head scratcher just because you were like you know you, you were so so almost shell shocked to see that he was anywhere near uh, that that front row there and then all of a sudden you know you had these two rivals who are intensely battling into that first turn and here's Esteban just kind of as you said you know right time right place just taking advantage of of. Uh, a nice little gap in space. And, and uh, I think it was, it was definitely one of those situations in which you, you were almost dumbfounded at like what in the world just happened. Yeah. It's, it's another one of those, it's another one of those like quiet, but great weekends for Esteban Ocon. Well, I guess you can't really say that this weekend was quiet because he was running in a podium place the entire race, but we've seen it over the course of the season where Esteban Ocon just, he keeps his head down in the race. He keeps it clean and he always delivers a consistent performance. And the thing about Esteban Ocon and Alpine is if we kind of compare them to McLaren, um, when something crazy happens in a race and it shakes up the entire order, we sometimes see McLaren not really get the best grasp on the situation, but we'll always see Alpine like slotting themselves into these situations that it's like, okay, how did you even get there? And it's, it's just another one of those weekends that we see from Ocon. But uh, moving on from that, as the pack continued through that tricky beginning of sector one, through the hard left of turn one, the quick right of turn two, we saw a couple of incidents behind our lead pack, and we actually would see a couple of retirements from it as well. So at first, what we saw was Leclerc and Perez, the Ferrari and the Red Bull, battling it out off the race restart. They go side by side through the first couple of corners, now they get to the part of the track at the exit of turn two where it gets really tight, especially if you're trying to go three wide there. Like that's that's one of the last places on this track that you want to try to go three wide. So Paris kind of squeezes Leclerc a little bit, but neither of them really have anywhere else to go. They end up uh, having contact. It spins the Red Bull sideways. Now, this is what led to the big incident of the race restart. You're at the back of the pack. Right now, now, picture yourself at the back of the pack and 
over the course of the weekend, we've seen a lot of concerns being brought up by drivers and teams about safety concerns at the track. One of them being if an incident were to happen ahead of them, they're arriving at the scene at full speed and they're a complete passenger. With the way that the track is laid out with a lot of these blind corners, you don't know what's happening five seconds ahead of you for a good portion of the lap and there's really no time for your pit wall to get you that information either so what happens is george russell and nikita mazepin are coming up the back of the pack here sergio perez is sideways at the exit of turn two george russell sees this and tries to slow down and take avoiding maneuver nikita mazepin does not see this because he's full throttle maybe five seconds behind him around the blind corner nikita mazepin comes around the bend and comes right into the back of George Russell at full speed. That is what brought out our second red flag was that incident. We had three track, three cars down on the track. Um, it was just absolute chaos. And it was almost the race start that we expected to see on lap one. Uh, Connor, what was your thought process on like that first race restart? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it was, um, it was, you know, as you said, that was kind of, that that result was was almost what we expected on the you know original race start but but uh you know seeing it all unfold you know seeing the the you know the the the, the two leaders kind of going at each other seeing Ocon you know take advantage of the the space that he was left um and then seeing really that battle between Perez and Leclerc there uh you know I, I think it was it was a an unfortunate really situation in which, you know, Perez had the, the, the racing line and, and unfortunately for Leclerc, he was just, he was in a spot in which he, you know, he didn't have enough room to just kind of squeeze out of that corner. Uh, if he was going to be in that position next to Perez. Um, and, and unfortunately we, we saw him, you know, clip, clip the side of the Red Bull there and send him sideways. Um, and, and as you said, you know, it's, it's such a fast track and, and such a, uh, a difficult track to maneuver in any type of, uh, uh, of incident where, you know, especially when you have a, a car that goes completely sideways, uh, there's really not much room for those cars that were behind to uh, maneuver around and snake around, which, you know, we, we did see most of the pack, you know, luckily enough, uh, be able to kind of, you know, take evasive maneuvers and, and sneak around the, the incident. But unfortunately for, uh, you know, Nikita Mazepin, he, was in the back and he, he saw guys kind of squeaking through and thought he had an opportunity to follow Russell. Um, but unfortunately, you know, for Russell, he had to break late and uh, that caused Nikita to not have anywhere near as much time as he needed to. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, he, he went from full, full throttle to, uh, you know, full brakes in, in a matter of seconds. He had no, no time to really react or enough space to react in terms of avoiding that collision there. So really just an unfortunate uh, you know, turn of events for them, but it really was one of those situations in which we, we, I think as fans, we, we, we sense something like that were going to happen at some point in this race. And uh, this is just unfortunately where it, where it all unfolded. Yeah, this, ha I mean, it has all of the concerns that we all had coming into this Grand Prix visualized. And if anything, at a lesser rate than we sort of sort of expected if a situation like this did occur because this track has no runoff besides just a couple of small areas and there needs to be more runoff at a track like this and this is just one of the reasons why because that incident i mean perez and leclerc were up at the front of the field so the entire midfield had to find their way through them as well let alone the back of the pack who was just basically making their way turn through turn one and turn two 
and approaching it. It, it, it just highlights some more of these areas as to safety precautions that need to be taken in Saudi Arabia to race properly there. Uh, now, we know that Saudi Arabia is not going to be the long-term racing uh, venue for Formula One in Saudi Arabia. They are building a larger scale circuit further out in the countryside. So it's not going to be the long-term prospect, but it brings up a lot of questions as to what are we going to do when we're back there? We're, we're going to be back there in just three, four months time. So it's, it brings up a lot of questions as to what will the safety precautions be to avoid an incident like that happening again and just maintaining a safe practice throughout all of the sessions. Now, that incident brought out another red flag. Now, that red flag, this is where we start to see a lot of questionable choices being made by the FIA. Um, Connor, just overall, really quick, how do you think the FIA did this weekend? Um, you know, I think if I had to say overall, um, I, I think they... And as 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 bad as it may sound, I really think that they they felt the tension of what was going to be a, a pretty dangerous Grand Prix and uh, a pretty, you know, a massively important weekend in terms of, you know, championship battles and constructor standings. Um, and I, I I hate to say it, but I really do think that the FIA just kind of cracked underneath, you know, the, the pressure and the criticism that they have been getting, uh, you know, so heavily over the last couple of weekends, but really leading up to this, this race weekend in a weekend where we, we needed them to be, you know, really on par and on the top of their game. I, I think that they, uh, they massively struggled. I, I think, you know, as we saw throughout a, a, a decent amount of the race, we saw, you know, lack of communication or, or, or a struggle to communicate in a, in a timely manner, um, which uh, as we know, it, you know, led to certain instances um, you know, and, and I think that just overall, they, I think they just struggled. They, they struggled with rulings. They struggled with decision makings. Um, I think, you know, for, for an FIA, that's supposed to kind of, you know, direct the race and really be, be on top of making decisions. Um, I think that they, they struggled pretty massively this weekend and, uh, this past weekend. And, uh, I think it, it led to, some some unhappy not only you know fans but uh you know owners racers i think the the whole nine was definitely there for them yeah we're gonna get into all the reasons as to why the fia and kind of like how the fia kind of dropped the ball this weekend now if you're unfamiliar with formula one maybe you're new to the sport you're just tuning into the podcast and you're just kind of getting your a feel for it and whatnot the FIA is the governing body of Formula One. Now, the the FIA was under the ownership of Charlie Whiting for a multitude of years, and everybody loved it. The FIA was always on point. They always made consistent decisions and always made you know the proper time like allocated to make these proper decisions and whatnot. Now, Charlie Whiting retired, and Michael Massey has taken over the FIA, and since then, we've seen a lot of shady things come out of the FIA, not in like a, a negative way towards any type of like a, a person, but just not the greatest decisions being made out of the governing body that rules over formula one. For instance, our first example, the lap 17 race restart starting order. If you listen to those FIA and team messages, you literally will hear Michael Massey and the FIA basically playing a game of deal or no deal with Mercedes and Red Bull. 
saying, you know, we're offering you on pole with Hamilton in P2 and Ocon here. And then they say, no, I don't like that. They say, well, we'll come back with this offer and this offer. And as the governing body of the pinnacle of motorsport, you don't really want to see them playing a game about decisions that can have a long lasting impact on the result of an ever important grand prix in an extremely tight championship battle. Um, I don't really think they did the greatest job this weekend. We're going to get into all of that later on with a couple of more um, examples to use. Now the lap 17 race restart, we see Esteban Ocon on pole followed by Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen at the restart. Verstappen at this point is on the medium tire because under the second red flag, he changed tires to the mediums to get a little bit extra pace on the Mercedes. Um, They were kind of, at least in my personal opinion, I think that Red Bull was banking on there being another safety car and another red flag to come off of those mediums and go onto the hard compound tire. Um, The medium is faster than the hard, but it degraded quicker. Uh, We learned through the weekend with the C4 hard compound tire that it carries good pace and has good durability around the track. The medium has a little bit better pace, but it degrades faster. The soft was the quickest and degraded the quickest as well. So I feel like Red Bull was sort of banking on another safety car and another quick uh, pit stop. Connor, would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, definitely. I I think that, you know, I, I... Again, it was so hard to tell whether or not we were going to have, you know, uh, you know, another yellow flag or another, you know, safety car or another, you know, red flag at some point in the race. It really did look like we were shaping up to, to probably having another one. Um, so I, I think that these teams, obviously, you know, these, especially the, the Red Bulls and the Mercedes of this, this, you know, this racing world, um, I think they really, they, they were banking pretty hard on on what to do and, and really uh, it, it played massively into, I think the ultimate result of this race um, in terms of whether or not, you know, to go to that hard tire or to stay on the mediums. Um, but I, I think overall it was, it was one of those decisions that you, you could kind of sense and kind of feel like, you know, if this doesn't go right, then this could be, you know, this, this could be the race. Um, and it was, uh, I think ultimately that, that was one of the, one of the leading factors in, in how everything shaped up. Yeah, I I have to agree. I mean, anytime that you have the opportunity to get a cheap or a free pit stop, of course, you're going to at least have a conversation with your team. Okay, do we pull the trigger now and then just kind of bank on this later? Or do we try this? I mean, lap 17 to go on to the mediums until lap 50 on a 27 turn, uh, very fast street circuit. It's very gambly. So I think that they were definitely banking on another uh, safety car and red flag to come out. It was, it was a very long stint that Red Bull were trying on that medium tire and it held up well and he carried a good pace. But throughout the race, we kind of just saw that those tires were slowly dropping and Hamilton was closing. And then we'll, we'll get into what happened with those two um, later on. Definitely stay tuned for that one. Now we had three virtual safety cars from lap 28 to lap 36 due to debris on track from the Sonoda and Vettel incident, Vettel and Raikkonen, uh, Fernando Alonso, he was also going to have a spinoff. Luckily, he did collect his Alpine uh, before he came into the barrier. But with those virtual safety cars, it slowed down the pace of the Grand Prix by about 40%. I think that really helped to keep those medium tires going to the end. 
Uh, Connor, if it wasn't for those virtual safety cars, do you think that Verstappen was going to have to pit for another set of tires? Yeah, to be completely honest with you, I, I think he would have definitely had to, you know, make one more emergency stop, if anything. Um, I think that those those virtual safety cars really kind of just slowed down the pace overall and, and, and just made it a little bit easier for, you know, Max to, to kind of nurse those tires a little bit and, and really really see them through for as long as he did. I, I, I think that if, uh, you know, with, with the, the pace of Hamilton behind, especially on the straights, um, you know, continuously pushing him harder and harder on, on, on every lap, it seemed, uh, I definitely think that we would have seen uh, those tires probably start to give out a, a bit more than they did. But I think given those, those few, you know, virtual safety cars, um, it, it kind of gave him an opportunity to, to really stretch out and prolong the life of those tires. Oh, the tire talk and chess at 200 miles an hour. From tires and strategy, Connor, let's take a look at the final uh, race restart that we saw with Esteban Ocon pole. Now, when the lights went out for the final time, Esteban Ocon on pole, Lewis Hamilton in P2, Max Verstappen in P3. Max Verstappen got a phenomenal launch off the line this time, and they were three wide going into turn one. Um, we saw small contact between Esteban Ocon and Lewis Hamilton towards the front wing of Lewis Hamilton. Um, Connor, when they when those three were going three wide into turn one, am I the only one that thought none of them were making it back out on the other side of the corner, or was that just me? Oh, definitely. It was it was one of those moments where you uh, you know, as a racing fan in general, it doesn't matter whether you're you're a Red Bull fan or a Mercedes fan or an Alpine fan. It was it was a moment in which you just kind of held your breath because they they did just so closely in such a tight, tight corner uh, come together so quickly, really. Um, and I, I think that, you know, if, if, you know, it, it really could have been a, a situation in which the slightest of turns, you know, especially on, on Lewis's side with him being kind of in the middle, uh, a, a turn or a, or a, a slight adjustment to either the left or right really could have sent him, you know, either into the, uh, you know, the, the side of, of Max or, or, or more so into that side of, uh, you know, Ocon there. So it, it definitely could have ended any of their races uh, a lot sooner than we would have wanted there. Uh, so it was definitely uh, one of those moments in which you just, you, you hold your breath and you hope that uh, all three of them made it out. And, and this, they all did. This is why they're Formula One drivers. And the best I can do is just drive on the sim. And if I go three wide into turn one at Jetta, we're not making it back out on the other side of the corner. I mean, I, the fact that they only touched a little bit on the front wing still just blows my mind. Now, moving on from the race restart, looking at the at the rest of the race now. Following those three virtual safety car restarts. Now, during that little area of the race, we saw teams like the Ferrari. We saw those two drivers having a phenomenal scrap throughout the field. Lando Norris was trying to make moves up the field to try to get some points back. Antonio Giovinazzi was doing great to hold on to a points finish. There was also some action uh, going back, you know, looking at the rest of the race and how everything unfolded. Daniel Ricciardo at this point is in a great position He's up towards the top five. He's really, he's got good pace in hand. Um, but the big thing about having three virtual safety car areas is any racing that starts, it's slowed down and then it's restarted and then it's slowed down. Do you think that instead of having three virtual safety cars to clean up debris on track, especially from, I, I can understand it from the Sonoda and Vettel incident uh, where Sonoda, like we saw on Stroll in Brazil, just, 
he just likes to send it up the inside, man. I, I he knows. I think he knows that the gap isn't there, but I mean, he's got that Ayrton Senna mentality. If the gap's there, you got to go for it. Do you think that was a little too risky by Sonoda to try to get by there? Uh, you know, I think at this point, possibly. But again, you know, as you said, where there's a gap, sometimes you know there there's a way. Um, and I think that these racers, especially you know at such high speeds. Um, you know, they, they see their opportunity and, and they're, they're going to go for it. You know, they, they take these risks every single time that they, uh, you know, they gear up and they hop in these, uh, these incredible machines. And uh, I think that we've seen countless times before, um, you know, m- many drivers who are able to cut right up into that inside and, and squeak by with, you know, an, an inch of play. And it's just one of those, you know, incredible moves that you see. And uh, I think it's just a bit of, you know, kind of just, being a little over optimistic for this young driver who, who wants to be aggressive and wants to really, you know, showcase and, 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 and define all of his skills. But uh, I think in some situations, you know, his, his, his eyes just see a, a lot bigger of an opportunity than what, uh, than what's actually present for him. It was really a, it was really a hero to zero kind of moment because if he makes that move, into turn one. Now, Yuki Sonoda was looking, he was looking really good this weekend. Like, if you look at his race, he went around the outside at turn 13 of a Ferrari. Like, how do you go around the outside at turn 13 in general, let alone around the outside of a car that's seconds faster than you on pace? I mean, he was looking really good this weekend and he tried to go, you know, for a hero move and, well, ended up as a zero, taking out Sebastian Vettel and sending them both sideways. Now, that would kind of be the end of Yuki Sonoda's day. He ended up finishing the race in P14. He wasn't really anywhere close to getting back onto the points. He took the front wing off of his car coming into the corner. He had to then reverse back off of his own front wing and try to limp it all the way back around the track. That was the end. That was the start of the end of the day for Yuki Sonoda, as well as it was also the start of the end of the day for Sebastian Vettel. He had that contact with Sonoda early on, but then he also had contact again with Kimi Raikkonen. I was actually pretty surprised to see these two in particular have contact just with the nature of these two, with the both of them being world champions. They're both in the running for the most overtakes of the season. Um, in the Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen incident, we'll call it, who do you think was more at fault there? Uh, you know, I, I think that one is, it's a hard, but I think at the end of the day, I think, I think Kimi probably is a little bit more at fault there. Um, I think, again, it, it really just comes down to this track and how narrow these opportunities really are. Um, I, I think that he he had a, a, a decent line there and he really just tried to take the inside, but he, he tried to take the inside in a, in a situation in which there, there really was no no uh, you know light at the end of the tunnel. There was no real opportunity for him to get by in that situation and uh, just really kind of seemed like they were both pushing – pushing a little a little too hard for what was necessary in that situation um you know again you know both being world champions it just it just seems like it was uh one of those moves that maybe it was just uh you know uh an old time champion against an old time champion just kind of trying to to you know compete and 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 say you know i'm i'm still the better driver kind of thing uh but i think it was just a, a silly moment for both drivers there and uh as we saw, it resulted in contact that would ultimately, you know, definitely do some damage to uh, especially that Aston Martin. It was the old boys trying to be the young boys again. I think, you know, Raikkonen, he, he's the most experienced driver of Formula One history. I mean, he's been racing for almost as long as we've been alive, which is 
kind of crazy to think about. But I mean, with all that experience, you still can't really prepare yourself for a 50 lap Grand Prix at a track like Jetta. I mean, it's just such a different track than any other one. Like you said, the opportunities are so narrow and it's such a tight circuit that you try to send it up the inside on such a high speed track. And if that gap closes, there's nowhere that you can go. I mean, he tried to take the inside of the corner, but he ended up taking the inside of the Aston Martin with him, um, which led to a lot of debris on track. We had a couple of virtual safety cars, as we discussed. Now, after those virtual safety cars, at this point, we have five retirements, actually four retirements in the race. Vettel tried to keep going, but they ended up just retiring him a few laps later. So we had five retirements in the race. But anyway, at the end of the virtual safety cars, we see Max Verstappen, P1, Lewis Hamilton, P2, breathing right down his neck. Now, at the restart, we kind of run into a little bit more FIA controversy, we can call it. A late call came in for Max Verstappen to give the position back to Lewis Hamilton after the turn one incident that happened at a restart earlier in the race. Now, I think that call should have come sooner. I think, you know, I, I just don't understand how the FIA and Michael Massey were really kind of up there sitting for such a long amount of time and then say, okay, yeah, okay, now give the position back for what happened earlier in the race. So I kind of thought that was a little interesting, but what I found more interesting was what actually happened. So following the three virtual safety restarts, we're on lap 37. Uh, Hamilton is in DRS of Verstappen. Hamilton makes a move. They break late. They go off the track. Verstappen rejoins ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Now, later on, this is where he's instructed to give the position back. Now, what happened here is one of the large controversial points of the race because Max Verstappen is told to slow down and let Lewis Hamilton pass. They're going down into turn 27 on the back stretch. Max Verstappen slows down to let him pass. Lewis Hamilton Mercedes are never given the notice in time that Red Bull and Max Verstappen are going to be slowing down. Lewis Hamilton stays tucked into the slipstream of Verstappen because he's expecting him to continue going at full throttle into the corner. He's not expecting Verstappen to slow down. So Verstappen slows down. Hamilton does not until a bit too late. You hear him lift and it's almost like there's this moment where Hamilton is thinking like, okay, what is Verstappen doing right now? I think he was thinking of Azerbaijan from like 2017 or 2018, where it was the incident between Vettel and Hamilton with the brake check. Now we're in the exact same situation here. So Hamilton Mercedes have no idea that he's about to slow down. They have contact with each other. There's damage to the front wing of Lewis Hamilton. There's damage to the rear diffuser area of Max Verstappen. I'm just really surprised that these two even finished the race looking at the damage that they had, let alone am I surprised at the fact that these two drivers were battling it out all race for the fastest lap. Lewis Hamilton breaks his front wing in half, and then he sets even faster lap times. I mean, Connor, what's? can I just get your thought process on that incident and how Lewis went faster after all of it? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was really just one of those those moments in which you sit back and you just, you, you were, you were just puzzled. I mean, nobody knew what was really going on. Um, it, it was just one of those absolutely insane moments that, you know, I mean, without a doubt, we will remember for years and years and years to come. Um, you know, I thought it was a situation in which 
you know, as you said, they're, they're going into that turn 27 there. They're, they're really just kind of duking it out and, and Red Bull gets, you know, that, that order to let Lewis pass. But uh, I think again, it, it goes to show that, you know, the, the FIA, I, they really seem to drop the ball in terms of this, especially, um, you know, there, there has to be um, a better, you know, whether it be a communication channel or, or just whatever it is uh, in terms of, of letting, you know, Mercedes know that, Hey, listen, they're, they're giving that track position back, you know, go ahead, overtake. Um, I think it was a situation also in which you saw that that last DRS detection zone was so very close um, and I, I think that, you know, for, for these racers, especially, you know, they, they know where everything is on these tracks in terms of, you know, DRS and, and just just how they want to do that. You know, they're they're racing lines and uh, all these X, Y's and Z's. Um, you know, I think for for Max, it, it seemed like it could have been, you know, uh, a situation in which he he wanted to, you know, give him that position. But he also wanted to be close enough to that DRS detection zone that, you know, as we saw, you know, as soon as he got past, maybe he could just gain DRS and, and uh, have a chance to, to catch Lewis on that, that straight going into turn one again. Um, and for Lewis's side of things, you know, it could have also been a, a situation in which, you know, he didn't want to pass initially because he also knew that if he stayed behind, he would be getting, uh, you know, that DRS enabled. So it was just one of those situations in which it was just, just so bizarre. And, and then, you know, after the fact and after the incident, we, we hear that Mercedes wasn't even notified that, you know, he was giving the position back is just it's it's really disappointing, I think, overall, as a race fan to, to hear these communications and these team radios coming you know through on, uh, you know, just the the, the miscommunication and the, the lack thereof. Uh, I think it was just it was something that was definitely unacceptable for the moment. Um, but then, you know, as you said, to see Lewis then setting fastest laps with with a, a wing that was, you know, as we saw, literally falling off was I think it was pretty incredible to see. Um, and not only that, he was doing it on the hard tire compound as well. Um, I, I thought that was, you know, I thought it was brilliant. I definitely think it it again shows that, you know, that that uh, that integrity of that medium tire that Max was on just it just wasn't there. You know, I think we saw all race. Um, Max really had an advantage in terms of those those tight corners that we saw, uh, you know, whereas Lewis was really able to make up that that time in that space uh, on the on the straights. But it, it just seemed like it was it was a pretty impressive feat for for Lewis to continuously start setting, you know, fastest lap times after not only being on the hard tires, but, you know, having uh, three quarters of a uh, front wing. Yeah, we have we have a couple of talking points with this. Uh, for starters, I absolutely agree that it's it's just unacceptable that in a situation like this, the FIA only communicates it to one team that's involved in this switch positions to slow down, and the other one is not notified. Um, there has to be a clear line of communication. There has to be a clear given heads up at this lap. Even at this turn, we expect these drivers to switch positions. So the fact that there was a lack of communication there, I mean, we heard the messages between Mercedes and the FIA. Mercedes literally screaming at FIA over the radio that they were not notified that that was going to happen. They had no heads up, no idea. 
they were completely caught off guard. And, you know, as a result, so was Hamilton because he drove into the back of Max Verstappen. Granted, the inside line was open on track. But like you said, these drivers know where every point is on these tracks. So they knew that the DRS line was just ahead of them there, which brings me into my next point. Welcome to my TED Talk series. I'm writing rules for the FIA in this next one. Michael Massey, feel free to email me. It's the love of speed at Gmail. I, we should definitely have a talk about this sometime. I think that there should be a new rule. Connor, are you ready for my new rule proposal? Oh, absolutely. Let's hear it. In a situation where two drivers are instructed to swap positions on track, I'm using Hamilton and Verstappen in Saudi Arabia as the perfect example because it showcases exactly what needs to happen to avoid a situation like this, at least at a part of the circuit like this. If the swap in positions is made just before a DRS detection line. The driver that ends up behind is not allowed to use DRS the following stint. So meaning you swap, they swap positions. Hamilton is in front. Verstappen is within a second going over the DRS detection zone. Normally he would have DRS, but with this rule, because they swap positions at that point on the track, he is not allowed to use DRS going down the straight. He has to keep that advantage through the lap and regain it. Do you think that's a good idea or no? Am I having a shining moment or am I looking dumb? No, I, I definitely, I think it's, it's completely fair. You know, it's, it, it would have, you know, obviously it, it really boils down to the communication factor to begin with, but it, it would have negated most of that situation that happened there. Um, I, I think that it would have given, you know, not only clear communication and, and clear like, Hey, listen, you know, slide all the way over if you need to uh, let him pass and then, you know, go racing from there. You know, it, it's a situation in which um, I, I really just, I can't quite fully understand, um, you know, why it was such an issue. And, and, and again, on the, even just the communication side of things, you know, we heard Michael Massey saying, well, you know, I can only push so many buttons at once. Um, but in, in a situation like this, you would think, you know, for as much technology as we have and, and for as much, you know, as, as advanced of a sport as this is, um, you would really think that if you're dealing with a situation like this in which there is two teams involved and you have to tell one, hey, listen, we're going to have to order you to give that position back. There, there should, you know, and this could just be me, but shouldn't there be a button that opens up the comms for maybe both sides that just says, Hey, you guys are instructed to give this position back. And then you just go from there. I feel like that. I feel like that simple thing right there. And it's a situation in which, I mean, it's beyond possible. And, and we, we are beyond capable of allowing that to be a thing in terms of opening comms. Um, I feel like that would be a, an incredibly silly and simple way to maybe just, you know, help uh, a situation like this not really have to arise you know that they have the technology for something like that i mean even do it on a zoom call or something but i i absolutely agree with you that there should make the call at the same time with both teams oh my god imagine the radio messages that we would be hearing about that if you have the fia mercedes and red bull on the same channel at once like every <laughs> everything about that says like yes please do it that's a great idea that you have there now this whole situation that we had going into turn 27 where they were told to switch positions and then they crashed into each other. 
this led to even more controversy because Hamilton goes into the back of Verstappen. Verstappen carries on. He accelerates out of the situation because at this point he was told slow down and give the position back. Now there is a pretty valid argument that maybe Verstappen slowed down a little too much. If you watch his onboard, you actually see him go from eighth gear to third gear, which is a very, very big difference in something like a formula one car in terms of speed. I think a part of that was the fact that we see Verstappen continually looking in his mirror and he sees that Hamilton is still behind him. So he's leaving the inside open. He's continually slowing down because he's being told, let him by, but he's not going by. So there's a lot of controversy with that. A lot of controversy with Verstappen. Maybe he slowed down too much. Maybe he jerked the wheel a little bit and kept too much to the center of the track. This all could have been extremely cleared up if there was a, simple line of communication between the FIA governing body, Michael Massey and the stewards and the two teams at once. Now this continued to spark controversy. I mean, that's, we should just name the episode controversy. Honestly, it's the controversy grand prix. Welcome. Um, This sparked even more because again, on lap 42, after Verstappen accelerates away from Hamilton, Hamilton attempts to get by Verstappen again, Verstappen would defend the position In a result, he would push Hamilton off track, defending the position. That resulted um, in a five-second penalty for Verstappen. I found that interesting and controversial because later on, just a few laps later, Hamilton gets past Verstappen. At this point, Hamilton pushes Verstappen off the track in the exact same position, in the exact same manner, and does not receive a penalty. So this is another one of those lines that we see not only from our championship rivals, but from so many teams down the grid where it's, we need a clear and level playing book with no if, ands, or buts. You can't look at one situation. Well, this happened, which led to this, and you can't look at one the other way. It has to be, this is what happened on track. This is where the drivers were on track. These are the rules for that exact situation. Um, I just, I just think that some clarity from the pinnacle of motorsports governing body would be fantastic in this. I mean, I, I was surprised to see that there was not a penalty assessed to Hamilton, not only for that incident with Verstappen, but if we also look at Hamilton's weekend throughout, you're usually given a five second time penalty. If you impede multiple drivers on multiple occasions through a weekend, wouldn't you agree, Connor? Like say you impede somebody on a flying lap in practice and in qualifying, you're bound to get a five second time penalty. Oh, absolutely. And I think, again, it's it's it really came down to just the FIA just just being, you know, almost almost just shell shocked in terms of of the decisions that they needed to be making on a on a consistent basis um, and, and rather, you know, just not really being ready for what this track had to give in terms of the the, the, the pure speed, the pure, you know, the, the blind corners, the 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 narrowness, all of it together. I, I think that they they knew that there was a, a very fine line in terms of, of, you know, what was going to be, you know, ruled a penalty and what wasn't. Um, and, and I think that in, in terms of that, that fine line, they, they did a terrific job of just absolutely tripping right over it and falling on their faces. Um, just really not making the right calls overall. I, I think that, you know, as you said, I, I think that the five second penalty was, it was completely pointless. Um, I, I think it was, it was one of those situations in which it just, 
it was uncalled for in a way and it just didn't really didn't really make sense it, it almost seemed like they were trying to make up for for you know incidences that were already you know done and over with that if they hadn't made a call already they they shouldn't have made any call on it at all but uh instead they did and then you know to to add injury to insult um then you know slapping him with the 10 second penalty as well it just seemed like it was very very just uncertain and almost 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 random uh it, it just it was very interesting um to say the least and i i really again um it's just a, another unfortunate display of the fia really just just not really having control over the, the decisions that they're making and and not having that consistency that in a sport like this um you know as we see um you know any minor 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 mistake or call or or, or penalty um it it changes the outcome of, of an entire season, um, which, you know, plays into massive implications at the end of it, whether, you know, it's a constructor standing or a driver standings, it, it, it plays a massive, massive part in, in the, the overall results. So it's, it's definitely something that uh, I think that the FIA and, and just, you know, Formula One in general, they, they have to kind of just take a seat and, and, and look, you know, look at everything that they're doing and kind of, you know, reevaluate a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. They they, they got to do something. They got to do something. I can't wait for all of our international viewers and international listeners to say, oh, well, it's British biased. Because if we take a look at Hamilton's weekend, there were multiple instances on track that would easily result in a five-second penalty in maybe a different situation, maybe a different scenario. But again, that shouldn't ever really be the case because he did impede multiple drivers on flying laps through practice, through qualifying. He had a couple on track incidents as well i was pretty surprised that he didn't get a penalty i think a lot of people were as well and i think a lot of people were surprised at um not only the penalties that verstappen received over the weekend but the extent of the penalties that he received a lot of people are saying like oh the fia just they wanted the championship to go to abu dhabi tied they knew it would need a one two there's all these conspiracy theories going around everybody's calling british bias meanwhile our only American team just finishing a double DNF again. So I don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, at, at the end of all of that, Hamilton pulls away Verstappen secures P2. They finish in that order. Hamilton takes the fastest lap of the race, gives him the extra championship point. They are dead. Even at 369 and a half points going into the final race of the weekend. Now, while all of this chaos and confusion and while total wolf and Mercedes are punching and slamming things in the garage and Red Bull screaming at people, Esteban Ocon is still holding on to P3. It's still at this point of the race. He's still doing great. He's putting in great sector times, great lap times. He's holding a pace to maybe he's going to keep Valtteri Bottas behind. It's looking really close. It's looking like he might get it. Valtteri Bottas is closing. Valtteri Bottas passes Esteban Ocon at the finish line in the exact same fashion that he that he passed Lance Stroll while he was driving for Williams in Azerbaijan, I believe 2019. Um, it, it was like for like um, exact for it. Uh, Connor, would you have liked to see Esteban Ocon up on the podium or... You know, do you think that he deserved it? Like, can I just have your thoughts on that battle for P3? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think he, 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 you know, he might have lucked out a little bit to get to that P3 to begin with, you know, in terms of the red flags and the safety cars and what whatnot. But uh, I think that 
he had a brilliant drive overall. I think he really he did the best with what he had, um, and he he fought off you know Valtteri Bottas, who it's it's not like you know he's any of a driver and it's not like he doesn't have you know one of the you know m- most incredible machines on on the the grid so uh, i think you know what we saw out of esteban was was brilliant i think it was definitely more than deserving uh, in terms of really getting that podium spot but uh, unfortunately we we saw you know what was an exceptional drive from him possibly an even more exceptional drive from valtteri bottas to to really not only keep him close but to then reel him in on that, that last corner was just, I mean, it was, it was nothing shy of, of brilliant. And uh, I think that we, we saw again, why, you know, Valtteri is really, he's, he's, he's really just having a, a going out party uh, these last couple of Grand Prix. And he's really showing everybody that he, uh, he is definitely still, um, you know, a, a top driver on this grid and, and he's showing why. Uh, it was so great to see Esteban Ocon and Valtteri Bottas pushing as hard as they were, especially on that last lap. Esteban Ocon came so close on so many occasions of putting that Alpine in the wall, trying to keep Valtteri Bottas behind. It was absolute world-class stuff from a driver um, from the Alpine side who has great potential from the future and from the Mercedes side who is, in my opinion, world championship caliber it was just great to see those two pushing each other. And like you said, we see this great form of Valtteri Bottas, especially recently since he got the Alfa Romeo contract. Um, Mercedes needed, I believe, either 40 or 44 points this weekend to secure the Constructors' title. They didn't outscore Red Bull by that much to secure it. But, I mean, no fault of Valtteri Bottas. He went through two power units over the weekend and had some bad luck, had some good luck. And just the form of Valtteri Bottas time and time again we're going to look back on Valtteri Bottas's second half of the season and say maybe that was what really helped to clinch Mercedes and help get that constructor's title. Granted, Sergio Perez having a DNF in the race certainly didn't help anything. I kind of, I mean, it's a meme now. I mean, we see Sergio Perez just standing on the track looking at his stricken Red Bull. It was, it was a pretty sad sight to see, especially in this tight P2 battle. Both drivers knew how important it was to really perform and how tight this battle was between them. Um, it, we're we're going to be looking back at Valtteri Bottas's end of his Mercedes career and the second half of the season as to, in my opinion, what is going to uh, clinch that constructor's title for Mercedes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it was just uh, a definite unfortunate turn of events for yeah, Perez there, and uh, I think that it's one of those one of those moments where, as we get to this point in the season, we obviously you know we 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 really we would love to see these tight you know constructor battles and driver standing battles. We we'd like to see everything just stay as clean as possible so we can have uh, you know as as competitive and as close as a. A fight as we can get but uh, unfortunately uh, again on a course like this it's just it, it's so hard for these drivers that are, are just you know they're they're pushing to the absolute limits um, you know and really just trying to gain every point and every every inch that they can on uh, on the rest of the grid it's 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 unfortunate and it's it's definitely massively difficult to keep these cars uh, not only in one piece but just uh, in in line for you know as many points as possible. I think it would have been so great as well to see back-to-back podiums for the French Alpine outfit team. 
Um, I think we're starting to see some of the World Endurance Championship mentality make its way into the Alpine Formula One team. If you watch uh, World Endurance Championship, you see sort of this like, yeah, well, screw you attitude from Alpine as they fight Toyota. And it's fantastic to watch. And I think that we're starting to see some of that filter into their Formula One team. Um, They're going to be a team to keep an eye on in the future. Um, But moving on from the battle for P3 and P4, Daniel Ricciardo brought it home today in P5. He got really lucky. He he was one of the big winners off of the safety car restarts and the free pit stops earlier. He started the race P11, had a phenomenal way to finish it up P5. He was putting in great lap times as well. He really earned his keep up there to bring home some, I mean, you could call them important points for McLaren, but you can't really call it important points in the battle for Ferrari anymore. Ferrari have P3 clinched. They they announced back in October, actually, that they were keeping more power unit upgrades for Abu Dhabi. So they're going to be coming with even more upgrades for the last race of the season. And I, I'm pretty excited to see as to what they're going to bring on that front. Moving on from P5, we have P6. It's Pierre Gasly. He brought it home P6 today. The Frenchman lost places earlier in the race, but a hard-fought drive from him would see those positions returned and finishing ahead of both Ferraris again. Another standout drive for Pierre Gasly, your favorite hero. Yeah, he is uh he is Mr. Consistency as we like to call him and uh he, he really just it's it's incredible to see what he's done this year uh with that with that Alfatari outfit. I mean, it it it, it seemed like it's always been a uh you know, a, a car that's it's it's got great single lap pace um but but to see, you know, Pierre really just continuously push that car over the course of a Grand Prix, it's 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 quite uh it's quite impressive and it, it definitely it, it gives, you know, Alfatari really I think uh, some motivation to to really throw everything that they have into that car next season and 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 really you know maybe try to challenge that midfield if not even you know some of those higher end midfield teams um, and definitely you know make a, make a name for themselves. P five has been the goal for Franz Tost and the Alpha Tauri former Toro Rosso outfit team. Um, the Italian-based team, has they've been aiming for P5 since they, for years and years and years, and they were so close to getting it this season. Um, it, it would take it, I mean, at this point, it would pretty much take a double DNF for Alpine and a 1-2 for AlphaTauri to get uh, P5 back. So it's not looking likely this, this season for P5, but there are so many great talking points that we can have from AlphaTauri this season, um, especially this weekend, because if we take a look at Pierre Gasly in Qatar at the Los Angeles International Circuit. That was a disastrous weekend for AlphaTauri and Pierre Gasly. A phenomenal way to bounce back from that as well. And just, you know, sort of solidify that like, yeah, okay, the car wasn't really there last weekend, but I'm still here and I can still put this car arguably where it doesn't belong. Uh, moving on from them, P7 and P8, we had the two Ferraris of Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Did you see the battle that those two had out on track? Oh, absolutely. And I think it was one of, you know, one of probably the more uh, more entertaining, you know, points in terms of this race overall. Um, you know, we, we see these two young drivers that are, you know, obviously uh, what seems to be enjoying uh, their time as teammates. Um, they, they're really they're they're pushing each other. It seems like almost every single weekend, um, you know, we see them right next to each other uh, on the grid. Uh, and, and we've seen them all year kind of battle with the driver standings. Um, I think that these are two drivers that are, are going to absolutely, you know, be, be pushing for, you know, I I'd even argue maybe, maybe, you know, a championship next season in terms of really just shaking things up. Uh, I think that we've seen time and time again this year, they just, 
they they seem to thrive off of one another and 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 kind of you know push the next one to you know that next level so it was it was definitely extremely fun to watch uh it, it doesn't seem like there's too much you know uh tension or or angst against the two so just to see these two young drivers going out and competing against not only everybody else but uh against each other internally it's it's an awesome sight to see and uh they definitely give you a good time yeah ferrari looking into next season uh they are still my personal choice for a team to keep an eye on to get the championship just with the amount of research and development and how much they have at their disposal and how great these two drivers are. Uh, this is, I don't, I honestly don't remember how many times this season it's happened where these two drivers finish right next to each other um, at the finishing line. It's extremely impressive. It, it really just means that these two drivers are extracting the absolute most out of the car as they possibly can. They have great pace in the car and they are right on pace with each other. So it is a healthy relationship between the two. They push each other. They really work as a team. I'm all in for the Scuderia being P1 next season. I'm pretty excited to see what they can do. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi started the race today, P10, finished it P9. A great weekend for Antonio Giovinazzi. In qualifying, he was even sitting Q. He, he was sitting P5 for a while in qualifying. Um how much of a statement weekend do you think this is for Antonio Giovinazzi? As we know, his Formula One, I don't want to say his Formula One career is over because there's always the chance that he can come back, but at least for now, it'll be coming to an end as Guan Yu Zhou enters into the team next season. He's making his way over into Formula E. How much do you think this weekend meant for Antonio Giovinazzi? I, I I personally think that it was, you know, one of the most important weekends that he's had in terms of just overall performance and the fact that, you know, he is going to be changing platforms this next season. Um, I think he, he's still a, a fairly young driver who has an immense amount of talent. Um, so I, I think that this was kind of one of those statement races that just lets everybody know, like, you know, hey, even though this is going to be, you know, my, my last stint here for a little while, you know, my, my time is ultimately not done yet so um I, I think that he's he's proving that he has that talent um it, it it almost is uh you know it almost leaves a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth to see him him perform at this level and and have that success because you know now we know that he won't be with the team this next season um so one of those kind of uh it, it's a, it's a feel-good moment but i'm sure for him it, it still kind of stings a little bit in the back of his mind uh, knowing that he won't be with the outfit next season. But o overall, I, I think that he's you know more than happy with the, the result that he got this weekend. Yeah, you can't help it. It is pretty bittersweet to see Antonio Giovinazzi leaving Formula One, but also so quickly that he was picked up in another professional level category and to a good team as well. He had offers to go to World Endurance Championship. There were a couple IndyCar uh, individuals that, re that were reaching out to him and his party. The now former Ferrari Driver Academy Italian Giovinazzi is on his way over to Formula E. Now, looking into P10, we have Lando Norris. What could have been for Lando Norris this weekend? I mean, he had great pace through qualifying. He was. It, it seems like he had a really nice rhythm on the track. I, I don't think it's his favorite rule, what can happen under the red flag for sure. Um, but it definitely just came back to bite him. I mean, what, what do you think could have been for Lando Norris this weekend and McLaren had it not gone wrong at that first red flag? 
Uh, I mean, I think that we definitely couldn't. We we could have easily been looking at it, at least you know a top five finish for Lando. I, I think that when you look at the result that this McLaren team got this past weekend, it, it really was almost like identical differences between the two. Uh, I mean, we we saw Ricardo kind of, you know, struggling a bit in qualifying and in practices. Um, as you know, we we saw Lando kind of having success and and finding his pace and and being you know in a decent position overall. Um, and, and then we get to that, you know, race Sunday and, and things almost flip-flopped completely um, where we saw Lando immediately pushed all the way back in, in terms of, uh, you know, having that red flag situation arise. And we, we saw Ricardo kind of slip into a spot that we didn't really think we were going to see him slide into. So um, I, I think it was just a, a bit of unfortunate events for the team overall in terms of, uh, mainly you know Lando losing his positionings but he he still fought a good race I think he did a good job to uh, be able to fight back and at least get into the points for the team Uh, I I think that he's definitely uh, he's one of those drivers that we we know has the talent and we know is extremely you know still young and 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 you know going to have a great career in this sport I think these last couple of Grand Prix we've seen him kind of you know just pick up a point here and there and and then pick up two points here and there it's it's one of those stretches for a, a young driver that can definitely be testing. But I think overall, he, he's still just kind of, you know, I think he's more so running into some bad luck rather than uh, just not performing at, at the level that we expect him to. So I, I expect him to finish off the season well, well and on a, on a much higher note for sure. It can be classified as unwanted character building uh, weekends. And I totally just made that up right now. We're just going to keep our spirits up for Lando Norris. It was almost like, McLaren and like the Formula One gods played like a game of cards and they said, I'll trade you Norris top five and Ricardo maybe out of the points for Ricardo top five and maybe Norris out of the points. It was just it was just bad luck for Lando Norris this weekend. I think a, a top five finish was on par for him as well. Um, luckily, they were able to get Daniel Ricardo up there to get some good points for the team, but just an unlucky weekend for him. Um, Connor, do we have any fan questions this weekend? So we do have two fan questions, and the first one I know is going to be an absolute home run of a question, uh, one that I think will get you going a little bit. So I will jump into it. It is from Larry Walker. Thank you for the question, Larry. His question is, does the FIA, as we you know, have so warmly talked about today, <laughs> does the FIA need to be reconstructed in order for Formula One to go about racing without as many headaches? Oh, man, you're just trying to get me going on a rant, Larry. I, Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think the FIA needs to get restructured. Um, this weekend is just a prime weekend to use as an example, as well as the many other instances that we've had over the course of this season and last season, generally since Michael Massey has taken over as president of the FIA. This weekend, we saw nothing but inconsistency from the FIA, both in on-track decisions with drivers, on-track decisions with safety precautions. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on about things that the FIA did not get right this weekend and how much of an effect that they had on the race. I mean, telling Verstappen to give the lead to Hamilton on three different occasions, assessing a penalty well after the action. And in that instance, you don't, there was never even given like if you were going to give him a five second penalty later in the race, why wouldn't you just tell him 
earlier in the race to switch positions then instead of saying oh well we would like it if you switch positions here's a five second penalty because he didn't that doesn't make any sense michael massey and then if we even look at i mean i think another standout example is whatever happens in belgium next uh earlier this year where we had two laps behind the safety car now i think we had two laps behind the safety car because a race can only be classified as a race if at least two laps are completed so i think michael massey sent them out for two laps behind the safety car so they could they could therefore say oh well we did have a race or at least we tried to have a race well we had two laps so let's just give out half points and what is even with it with the half points i mean there's no point to giving half points we haven't done that in a, i don't know a decade and plus some more like it just doesn't make sense to award half points for two laps behind a safety car when it was nothing more than just a parade around a very wet Spa Francochamps. So we can use that as an example. We can look back to Bahrain when it was the Hamilton and Verstappen incident where Verstappen, he did overtake, you know, off track, but that doesn't negate the times that Lewis did as well. But then there was no action to Lewis Hamilton. And then if you want to look at Silverstone where Hamilton crashes out Verstappen, um, I know that's extremely controversial, by the way. Some people are going to say, oh, well, Verstappen should have left the room. Oh, well, Hamilton should have backed out. No, Hamilton should have backed out. I mean, yeah, they were alongside, but, I mean, Hamilton was going to miss the apex, and he, he wasn't going to make that corner anyway. So he takes Verstappen out of the race there, and he only gets a slap on the wrist, 10-second penalty, goes on, wins the race, bags a really quick 26 points in front of his home crowd. That decision could come back to have a major effect on the end result of this championship. Um then we could even look at Yuki Sonoda in Austria. Yuki Sonoda got two penalty points because he put his left side wheel maybe two millimeters over the white pit entry line, gets two penalty points for it, and it's ruled as dangerous driving. But then you have instances where drivers are literally crashing each other off the track. You have so many instances with that. Alonso and Raikkonen in the United States Grand Prix continuously pushing each other off the track. Um I mean, the list just goes on and on. Even at Haas, there's no action against Nikita Mazepin a lot of the times when he's pushing Mick Schumacher nearly into a wall at 200 miles an hour. You don't really see anything about that because, well, it's not really that important to the end of the race, I suppose, so I might as well just not even enforce it. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And, you know, I said that this was going to be a long episode, and I can absolutely just, you know, keep going as to how many things that I think have gone wrong with the FIA this season um, but I guess to answer your question in a short, but not really too short in, you know, answer. Yes. I think that we need to see a restructure in the FIA. We need to see some new blood in the FIA. Michael Massey, he just doesn't have control of not only the races, but especially this championship. I mean, when you get to the point as the race director that you're playing dealer, no deal with the championship protagonist saying i'll offer you your driver starting in this position for this driver starting in this position like you never want to be at a point where you're even willing to barter with the teams like that that should never even cross your mind um and i kind of think that instance in itself goes to show the level as to where michael massey and the fia actually are in control of it like if we get to abu dhabi and there's even some slight controversial you know, something needs an investigation, which it really doesn't, which is another thing. Not everything that happens on track needs a full investigation and a penalty. It is totally okay to just let things go. 
And another thing that I don't understand is why is it on lap one and lap two at race starts, you're going to let anything go. Drivers going off track, going to the escape roads on purpose when they know that they can save time. AKA look at Fernando Alonso at the start of Russia where he didn't even try to make the corner instead <laughs> at turn two, he just went straight over the runoff gained like five positions. And Michael Massey said, well, it's the beginning of the race, so I can't enforce that. But if he did that 15 laps later, well, then that's a penalty and I have to enforce that. That doesn't make any sense. So yeah, this is absolutely a rant now. Um, yeah. I think they need to restructure the FIA. <laughs> no, without a doubt. I, I think it's, in a, in a bit of a shorter answer here, I, I just think that from the bottom to the top um, or to the top to the bottom, whichever way you want to look at it, um, it's just a situation in which Michael Massey has to have more control over these decisions that are being made. Um, yes, it is extremely difficult to make these decisions, especially as, you know, these cars are flying and racing at, you know, 150 plus miles per hour um it's extremely difficult i'm sure to make these decisions and and then relay these decisions to these teams but um ultimately you know if, if that's the case if, if there needs to be you know more michael massey's or or more voices of communication that are, are making these decisions um obviously that that throws in a, a different element of of maybe you know human error but it also allows you to then you know say okay i will focus on just these types of situations you will focus on just those types of situations and then it just kind of it, it takes a bit of responsibility away from you and I, i'm sure that there are certain people that are focusing on certain situations but just having you know a one single head person that says okay listen i'm going to be in charge of all of you know the push-off incidences mm -hmm. that we've had uh and and then just just kind of goes from there i, I think there's there's so many ways that he can kind of recoup and, and re restructure the FIA and the rules that they, you know, abide by, so to speak. Um, but it's just, it just doesn't seem like there's really any push on their end to improve any of these situations in which we continuously see unfolding. Yeah. And there's so many like ridiculous and just like stupid and silly rules that like don't even need to be enforced. And then when they are enforced, they have way too much of a penalty. I mean, let's, let, let, let's just take it for example, right now, let's look at the Hungarian Grand Prix where Sebastian Vettel finished on the podium, but because when his car got back to the pit lane, it had, what was it? Less than a liter of fuel in it. Of course it had less than a liter of fuel in it. Michael Massey, he just ran up a, a, a 300 kilometer race at top speed, trying to catch Esteban Ocon for the win. Like, I think anybody's going to be burning through a lot of fuel. And because he had less than a liter of fuel, they disqualified him from the race and took that podium position away from Sebastian Vettel. So, I mean, that's another thing that we see where it's just like, why is, why is that a thing? And there are way, 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 way too many instances where we can say, okay, well, in Brazil at turn four, Verstappen pushes Hamilton off track. They both go off track much similar in the way that they do at turn one in Saudi Arabia. But the difference between the two is that Brazil, there was no penalty because just a few laps later, Hamilton makes the move past Verstappen. There's the end of the race result. Okay, job done. You know, it, it happened, but we're just going to let it go. They even said that they were going to let it go because they have to let it go because they couldn't enforce it because it was just two drivers going hard. But when that happens at turn one in Saudi Arabia, now because he didn't let the, now, because he didn't let the place go back immediately, he gets a penalty. What was it, 10 or 15 laps later for something that happened earlier? Like, there's just nothing that really makes sense anymore.
book is kind of thrown out the window and then brought back in and then rewritten for certain instances the next week. Um, yeah, I don't know. They got to change it up and something. They got to go back to some of the Charlie Whiting ways because we never had these years with them. <laughs> Without a doubt, they do. And uh, finally, on this last fan question that we have, it comes from Sarah Davidson. Uh, she asks, who do you think, and obviously this is a, a pretty big one, who do you think will win the Drivers' Championship? Um, obviously, we know that Max and Lewis are in what has been a historic battle, and they are now deadlocked, tied. Um, we will have a winner at the end of this last race, and it, it will be um, – remembered for years and years to come so with that being said you know we we see a little bit of i think some of these tensions especially after this last race kind of kind of coming through here with you know lewis criticizing max and max you know criticizing lewis and 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 we see you know tempers flaring a little bit with you know with max leaving the podium and not celebrating and 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 lewis kind of calling him out afterwards and i i think you know we're we're really you know as fans we're 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 being treated to one of the the best championship fights that we've seen in quite some time. But if you had to to pick who you thought right now in terms of where the cars are, where the teams are, uh, the track that we're going to, if you had to pick um, a, a possible champion, who do you think is going to uh, when it, when it all is, you know, when the dust settles, who do you think is going to win this championship? Well, Sarah, I, I don't know how long you've been listening to our podcast, but if you go back to any episode where I make a prediction, I have been right zero times. Like I said that I said that Alpine was going to have a great weekend. I think it was Brazil or maybe the race prior. I said they were going to have a great weekend. They had to rebuild Esteban Ocon's car twice and Alonzo nearly crashed out. Both of them finished outside of the points and they had one of their worst weekends. I mean, that's just an example that I'm using. So I think I'm the last person that should probably be making predictions, but I mean, you're listening. I'm going to make the prediction. Um, when we look at the championship coming into this weekend, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are deadlocked even at 369 and a half points each. The last time that we had two drivers in the championship at the last race, dead even, was 1974. It was between Clay Regazzoni and Emerson Fittipaldi. That's the last time that this has happened. It's happening now in 2021 between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, as we know. Now, looking at this weekend, who will be faster? It really is just like, may the best man and may the best team win. So let's look at some of the weighing factors on it. The biggest thing that has stood out all season has been Mercedes reliability. Now, the engine that they're using is the so-called spicy engine that they used in Brazil. It was quite spicy in Brazil, like habanero spicy. I mean, that thing was an absolute rocket ship. He started from last and won the race. Now, the thing that we know about the Mercedes power units is that they degrade really, really quickly. They have so much pace in Brazil. Then we see them with a little bit less pace the next round. Now, granted, the next round after Brazil, they put in an older power unit to try to preserve this one. But for Saudi Arabia, they use that spicy engine, and it's not so spicy anymore. If anything, Honda and Red Bull are on par now. They had pretty even pace on the long run. On the short run, there's only like a tenth or two between them. So now we come to Abu Dhabi. Of course, Mercedes is still going to be using the spicy power unit. That was the whole reason for their 
what I like to call the engine undercut strategy that they pulled um, earlier in the season was to have a fresher engine at the end. The question will be, is that Mercedes car going to be faster than Red Bull when it gets there? Because Red Bull and Honda, that power unit is actually something pretty special. It does not dip down in power and performance like we from Mercedes. Now, granted, every car, every you know power unit, it's going to start to degrade. It's a matter of what is the rate that it's going to start to go. Because you have so many things to these Formula One power units. You have motor generating units. You have all this stuff, right? So looking at this weekend, I think it's going to come down to not only who has the fastest car, but who is going to handle this situation better. Now, when we look at these two drivers, look at Max Verstappen throughout this season. Even at the beginning of the season, everybody kind of knew, even after those first couple of rounds, like, okay, um, Verstappen's going to make a championship run this season. And they would be asking him questions, and he would always have the same answer. I'm not focusing on that right now. He would say, like, it matters if I'm leading at the end of Abu Dhabi, but that's it. He would always say, I'm just taking it one race at a time, just one race at a time. I kind of feel like maybe the pressure of this championship battle, especially with how unique and just insane it has been, the pressure might be starting to get to Max Verstappen with some of these small errors that we're seeing out of him, you know, pushing too hard in Q3, um, maybe some questionable decisions on track in a couple of Grand Prix. But we see the same coming from Lewis Hamilton. I mean, this is a different Lewis Hamilton than we've seen. I don't remember the last time that I heard Lewis Hamilton swearing on the radio about another driver. So we see this having an effect on both of them. However, to end my short, I'm trying to keep this rant short. I mean, I'm ranting a lot this one. But I think experience is going to come out the better factor on this one. Um, I say that because... It's no question that Max Verstappen is going to win championships, especially looking at this season. I think I think now he actually does have the record for most Grand Prix victories without a championship. And he's younger than me, which is kind of strange. But Lewis Hamilton has been in this situation before. He's been in tight championship battles with Sebastian Vettel, with uh, the likes of Felipe Masser, Fernando Alonso, Nico Rosberg. He knows how to handle this pressure. So because he knows how to handle this pressure and he knows what to do and even just some of the, the things that we've seen coming out of this Mercedes team, like for instance, rebuilding Valtteri Bottas's power unit twice over a weekend and having him finish on the podium. Like these are just some of the things that Mercedes have done. And it's some of the reasons as to why they're the team that's currently writing the history books. So I think at the end of Abu Dhabi, we're going to see Lewis Hamilton as an eight-time world champion. All right. Well, Sarah, I think you got an answer and then some for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, if, if I had to answer that, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, kind of to piggyback off of what you said, I think overall um, we know that in due time, I think Max will be a, a multiple you know, world champion. Um, but I do think that overall, that experience factor that Lewis Hamilton has, um, I think that it will ultimately help. Uh, and I do think that some way, somehow, uh, no matter how it, it all boils down to be next Sunday, uh, I do think that he will figure out a way to get that win. And uh, I think that we will be looking at an eight-time champion. And uh, 
I, I think it will, without a doubt, come with controversies. And I, I do think that there will be more than just racing that plays into it, unfortunately. Uh, we've just seen it too consistently uh, throughout the season uh, for it not to show up or for you know, a, a scenario to not come to a to a boiling port. But uh, I think overall it, it should be a, a fun time. I'm very excited to see how it all unfolds, and uh, I think we're all in for quite the treat next Sunday. Either way that the Grand Prix ends um, next weekend, this has been nothing short of a historical season and we're watching history next weekend because we're either going to have an eight time world champion or we're going to have a first time world champion. So either way, we're watching history. We have arguably the greatest title battle that we've seen in years and years and years. So either way, it's been a fantastic ride. I'm mentally not prepared at all for next weekend. I have no idea what's going to happen besides I'm, just going to be completely glued to my TV for the entire weekend. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure what's going to happen next weekend, but we're both saying Mercedes and looking at our predictions, it probably means Verstappen's going to win it. So stay tuned to find out, I guess. <laughs> Connor, have you got anything more for us tonight? I think after what has definitely been our longest episode, I think I am all set in terms of what, uh, what we're going to touch on today. Yeah, this probably has been our longest episode. I haven't checked the timer as to how long it's been, but I think it's been our longest episode. So if you're still listening, you are the real MVP, and we appreciate you here at The Love of Speed. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at The Love of Speed. Follow our Spotify here, and we will keep you up to date on all of the latest and breaking news in the Formula One world. Be sure to keep a lookout later on in the week for our Abu Dhabi Championship weekend coverage. You are not going to want to miss it. As always, Connor, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for listening on, and we will see you on the next one.